And I want us to look at this passage, and I want us to see um, what happened here, and I want us to apply it to our lives. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we're going to learn today to do what Jesus says. Everybody say, do what Jesus says. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say, do what Jesus says. Thank you. Let me just share this chapel right here, and then we will get started. Doing what Jesus says is going to impact your ministry. It's going to impact your life. It's going to impact all that you do. And so I think that you should make this an important priority of your life is learning how to hear from Jesus. I think that you need to learn how to follow his instruction. There is a cooperation. There is a cooperation that you will participate in when it comes to doing and seeing the miracles of God. Look at John chapter 2. If you are there, say, I'm there. Okay, John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Verse 3, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Or in other words, do what he says. Do what Jesus says. Nearby stood six stone jar, uh, water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Uh, 30 times 6 is 180 gallons. That's how much wine Jesus is going to make. We talked yesterday in church about Jesus being the life of the party. That's a whole other discussion. If you missed it, go back and check it out online. But most of you, I think, were there. Verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, now here he tells them what to do, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. They obeyed Jesus. They did what he said. Then he told them, somebody say, do what Jesus says. Here we go. Now he tells them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. They did what Jesus said. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. See, they participated in the miracle, the servants. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. We know there's seven signs in the book of John. Our church is going through those, and this is the first sign, and it revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. They stayed there for a few days. Everybody say, do what Jesus says. Thank you. You see here that Jesus is at a wedding. He's enjoying himself. He's most likely drinking the wine and eating the food like everybody else. It runs out, and his mother tells him they have no more wine. His reaction in verse 4 shows us the humanity of Jesus, fully man. He did not always know what the Father was doing until he sought the will of the Father. So it wasn't by default. It was by his obedience, hearing what the Father was saying and cluing into what God was saying. And this opportunity was actually brought forth to him by his mother. So you can look at the reaction like, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Then she says, do whatever he tells you, and then now he goes on and does the miracle. Do you think the Son of God could have been manipulated by his mother without sinning? Yes or no? 
No, if he would have been manipulated by his mother, he would have feared man and not God. And the Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. So by him doing the miracle, did he do this just because his mother wanted him to? No, he does it because the father wants him to. But when the mother first brings it up to him, did he see it at that moment for an opportunity for the father? No, because he says, my hour has not yet come. So what happens between verses 4 and 6? What happens there is that I believe Jesus hears the Father now tell him, what your mother is on is actually for you, and your hour is now for this. And so could you be wrong and not sin? I actually believe you can, which is another discussion. I don't believe Jesus always got every math problem right. I don't believe that Jesus walked on his first time trying. So could Jesus be wrong and not sin? I believe he could. But if that's too far for some people to think that Jesus could be wrong and not sin, this is what we can at least say, is that Jesus was saying to his mother that my hour hasn't yet come to do all that I'm going to do, but the Father tells me I can do some of those things right now. So however you want to see him changing his mind here, whether it's Jesus being wrong in the hour not coming, and now the hour has come and he realizes it, or if Jesus is right, the hour has not come, but he was still going to get involved because this is a part of him leading up to him revealing himself, which we would say uh, happened at Jerusalem. Now, I don't like saying Jesus is wrong any more than anybody else, but once again, I don't think being wrong is a sin. I don't think that uh, being wrong is a sin. And hearing what the Lord wants to do and how Jesus was quick to listen kind of reminds me of how I am with my wife. My wife comes to me and says, we're out of milk. And I go, woman, what does this have to do with me? You know, and I go, my hour to go to the grocery store has not yet come. And then while I think on it, I'm like, yeah, it probably is a good idea to do this. And then I change my mind and I go forth and I do it. So even if you don't like the idea of Jesus being wrong, could he have changed his mind? There's a lesser way of saying Jesus was wrong here. Could Jesus have changed his mind in the scenario here? Absolutely, and it would not count it as a sin because, once again, he's fully man. And, and, and he even says this when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, uh, Lord, uh, Father, if there's another way, take this cup from me. And if he was fully God and no man, then there would be no discussion there. He already knows the will. He already knows what he's supposed to do. But he's actually here kind of trying to bargain as a man, once again not sinful, but as a fully man that knows he's about ready to get tortured. There, there is nobody who's going to say, torture me is my first option in this thing, you know? Like if it's like, hey, I'll give you a million dollars if you work today, or I'll give you a million dollars if I torture you today. How many in their right mind are going to say, I'm going to take the torture option? Like that's the way I want to get this thing done. No, if you have another way of doing this, you're going to want to do it another way. Once again, we see the full humanity of Jesus. And then um, he says, nevertheless, not my will but your will be done. And so this truly shows us that he had a human will, a human understanding, a human way of, of operating in the world and to be able to, to, to sympathize with us, to have the kind of desires that we literally would have, and those would be weaknesses, not sin. He had the weakness of his humanity we see in a normal way. Weary beside the well, he sits down in John chapter 4, thirsty and starts drinking. He got tired, right? He even at some points we see gets frustrated with people. He gets frustrated in their unbelief. All of this being the weakness of the flesh, 
but not the sin of the flesh. It's like in your anger, do not sin. In his frustration, he didn't sin with people. In his weakness, he didn't compromise. And so we see the very humanity of Jesus here. So let's move on past that. Now, we see that the mother tells the servants, do what he tells you. So it seems like the mother is confident and what's going to happen here. So if we're going to believe that Jesus does nothing except the Father tells him to do it, then we're going to believe the Father uses Mary to help Jesus do something. Now, does that mean now we're going to start praying to Mary to have Jesus do stuff? Because that's the way Roman Catholics are going to take it. They're going to say, hey, sometimes Jesus won't do it, but if you pray to Mary, Mary will go get Jesus to do it. That's, an, that's like a, an illustration of their way to go to Mary for an, uh, intercession. Is, and I even saw this on a bumper sticker. If, if Jesus is not available, go to his mother. And that's an idea that's put into Roman Catholics' minds. But that's not true here. Whatever the Father was telling Mary that was good here, the Father tells Jesus. And so Jesus then takes the opportunity to show his glory here. So he does. And we know what happens. He makes the wine. The party is awesome. The guy, uh, the head banquet guy, the leader of the banquet says, you save the best for last. We know that this is alcoholic wine because nobody cares about grape juice. Nobody manages grape juice like that, you know, brings out the good stuff at the first. And then after you've well drunk, brings out the bad stuff. It makes no sense to the story. But you manage that with alcohol. You do those kinds of things with alcohol. Now, we know as SUM students, you have taken a, a, a commitment of abstinence. And we want to encourage you to do that. The Lord will speak to you through this time of sacrifice. But we also want to be very honest with you and know that, uh, and, and let you know that this was real wine. He made 180 gallons of it, and he didn't promote drunkenness. Jesus was not a drunkard, nor would he have promoted drunkenness. And if somebody says, well, why does he uh, give us wine if he uh, knows people may get drunk on it? Well, if that was God's reasoning, then why did he give you a free will if he knew you were going to sin? Why did he give you sexuality if he knew that you would sin with your sexuality? Why does God allow you to have money if he knows that it can become greed in your heart? All of these things, God gives you the choice between good and evil to serve God or to serve the devil. And so with whatever we do, we should do it all unto the Lord. And the Bible literally says, whether you eat or drink, do all things as unto the Lord. And so what we need to understand is that whether we're eating or drinking or at a party or wherever, we need to have the presence of the Lord with us, be led by his spirit and do all things unto him. So yes, Jesus made alcoholic wine, but he is not promoting debauchery and he is not promoting sin. I want to show you that scripture, whether you eat or you drink, do it all unto the Lord, is um, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. But you can see here that no matter what we do, we do it all unto the Lord. And they actually even got upset with Jesus. Uh, it's not tight. Oh, thank you. I always forget that I got to be over here. Um, we, we sometimes forget that Jesus was a man like us. And so if Jesus uh, had, a, had a life like a real man has a life, then Jesus would enjoy good food. Jesus would enjoy relaxing with his friends and drinking this wine. This would not be a problem. As a matter of fact, people accused Jesus of being a drunkard and a wine-bibber. They said John the Baptist, as we talked about last week, he didn't even come eating bread nor drinking wine. And so you, they said that he had a demon, and that was because he ate locusts and wild honey and took a Nazarite vow to not even eat grape juice, to not even eat grapes nor drink grape juice, let alone wine. And yet we see Jesus in that same, uh, Jesus is talking there. He says, I have come eating and drinking, and you say the Son of Man is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So no matter what, the people didn't like it. If, if 
John the Baptist came strict. They said he's got a demon. Jesus came hanging out. He's a drunkard. So it's like y'all don't want to hear the truth either way, and that's the way I look at it as well. When I used to be strict, people didn't want to listen to me. I didn't watch movies, celebrate Christmas, all that. People didn't want to listen to me. Now that I hang out, uh, can drink a beer or whatever, now people don't want to listen to me. It's, it's all going to be that way until people's hearts open up. But if God is in it, I'm going to do what God told, tells me to do. And I believe God was in John the Baptist's ministry, and obviously he was with the son and his ministry. Ministry. So God was with me when I was abstaining from everything, not watching movies, not listening to secular music, not doing any of that. And God has been with me eating and drinking. So whether you call me a friend of sinners or drunk or whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be like Jesus. Amen. And you be like who God called you to be. But here's that scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now we know that the drinking there has to do with wine. We know that that's the issue right there because right above this, it talks about the conscience and the issues of people uh, have with these different things like should we eat meat that's sacrificed to idols or what things should we do and not do. And he starts talking about these, these things that are, are from the conscience and he says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but everything, uh, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And he says, uh, you know, whether or not we should eat this meat or do these different things uh, all comes down to whether or not you have the freedom uh, to do that in your own conscience and whether or not it will cause somebody else to stumble. And so we know that obviously in this culture, um, uh, in this passage, rather, that the drinking here is not of grape juice, because who would care about that? So uh, w- what they're talking about here is literally drinking wine. And there's there's been always a group of people that have been abstinent, and there's always been the people like Jesus who weren't abstinent. So the issue isn't whether or not uh, can you do it, the whether or not it's beneficial for you to do it and beneficial for those that you're around. Maybe you're in a certain situation, and you won't do these things because it's not going to be beneficial. If you're hanging around a bunch of people from Alcoholics Anonymous or you're working at Teen Challenge, the best thing is probably probably not to go have a beer with them to go watch the football game, right? At the same time, if you're sitting down with your wife enjoying a meal, where is the sin in having the wine? There's, there's, there's two different circumstances and two different issues. Now, let's say you come from an alcoholic background and you hate wine. I'm not going to tell you to start drinking wine. So your conscience doesn't want you to do it. So that will dictate how you behave. And then sometimes your company will dictate what you do. Does everybody get that? And so that's why it's saying, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything may be uh, that, that God says is blessed, may be blessed for, for, uh, for us to do, but not everything may be beneficial for you to do. Just like it's, it's, it's okay for you to eat uh, meat, but you may want to take time to do a cleanse and not eat meat, right? So it's not saying that every, everything is free and permissible, including breaking the law of God. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is here, everything that God has blessed and says is good, is is okay for you to do, but you've got to decide whether or not it's beneficial. Now, anyways, we go back to this passage, and we see that Jesus ends up making the wine. But does Jesus do it on his own? Does Jesus just go over here and make the wine and hand it to the guy? No, he uses the servants. And what are we uh, at SUM? What, what's our slogan? Servants of all. So we are Jesus' servants. He got hungry for that. He wanted it. Take it. Come on, ain't nothing to be embarrassed about. What are we? Servants of all. What are we? Servants of all. Who we be? Servants of all. Amen. We are servants of all. I want to be that one that Jesus calls on. I want to be that one that's close enough to Jesus that never takes it as an offense to do something for Jesus. In my family, doing chores around the house is not something that you get because you're punished. That's a privilege. 
And I've literally gotten to see this firsthand. I've heard other parents talk about it, but I've literally gotten to see this firsthand as I've raised my kids. So Bethany's our oldest, and so she starts getting little chores. Bethany, when you come down, shut, shut off the outside lights, the lights that are outside. And then, Bethany, every Monday you help me get the garbage. Well, here comes Hannah about a year and a half behind her. What do you think she starts to say when she sees Bethany doing all that? Exactly. What can I do? Can I help? Let me do something. Okay, Hannah, you're in charge of the recyclable garbage that you're going to take out of the little thing that we have. Because there's a little, um, what do you call it? thing that comes in and out. A drawer? There we go. Like a drawer, a cabinet or something that comes in and out. Yeah, drawer is the name for it. And she's going to go and do that. Well, that's because in our house, doing things for the house is a privilege. Cleaning the house is a privilege. Now, I'm going to pray that they never lose that attitude, that they never lose that spirit. Because that's the right heart that we should have. So today, it's the same thing. Uh, Bethany, go get the vacuum cleaner and vacuum downstairs. Okay, because she sees it as she's doing something. She's contributing. And you even got little Lucas running around going, what can I do? What can I do? And I'm like, well, I'll tell you what. You can go get the garbage bag from underneath the sink and give it to Hannah so she could put it into the place that we you just took it out of, you know, to, to put it back in. And, and that's how we should be. We should be servants of all, loving to serve God, loving to serve his people. I've been out with pastors after they've preached, and I've heard them complain about their churches. And I've gone to Bible college and seminary with these pastors as well. Heard them complain about their church. And these people need to keep taking sabbatical after sabbatical after sabbatical. It's like, man, do you not like what you do? Why is it, why do you need to keep taking 30 days off all the time? Why, what's wrong with what you do? Jesus didn't be like, hey guys, I'm going to take 30 days off and go take a sabbatical. I believe he had that time of 40 days of fasting, that preparation. But after that, ministry was life. Ministry was a part of who he was. Now, ministry is not always easy, and you can't look to it for your joy all the time. And sometimes it is joyful, but joy comes from the Lord, and the Lord can use ministry. But if you're having a hardship in ministry, you still have the Lord, okay? So here's the deal. I want to be the kind of servant that works with Jesus, that's next to Jesus, that takes it as a privilege, not like, oh, man, I got to do something for Jesus now. No, because those who hang out with Jesus, and you better tweet this, get to participate in the miracles of Jesus, Those who serve with Jesus get to participate in the miracles of Jesus. So do you want to be around Jesus and see the miracles? Yes or no? Yeah. Do you want to see Jesus raise the dead, heal the sick, plant his church, make disciples that make disciples? Yeah. Well, then be his servant. Be available and do whatever he tells you. Everybody say, do it. Do whatever he tells you. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. And for this situation, it was go get those places where they put the holy water in. Go get that, and we're going to make it into wine. Okay, yes, sir. Go dip out a goblet of wine and go give it to the headmaster. Yes, sir. They were all about doing whatever Jesus said. They got to participate in the miracle. Now, were they the source of the miracle? No, they could take uh, these these ceremonial jars, fill them with water, and take a goblet and go hand it to somebody. They could do that a thousand times, and they would still never produce wine. So they were not the source of the miracle, but they got to participate in the miracle. That's the Jesus that we serve. The glory of Jesus revealed in this story, the sign, the first sign of John, is that Jesus is the life of the party, that Jesus fills up what we always have run out. 
We have our passion in marriage run out. It can't last on its own. We need God's love to keep us and bind us together in our marriage. We lose our passion in ministry. We run out of the joy of serving others like the wine runs out. But Jesus will transform our dry lives, our dry service into the wine of serving, into the joy and passion of serving God. The glory of God revealed here is that Jesus loves to take empty things, fill them up, and transform it into his power, to his service for his glory. And what we see here is that he does it with servants. He does it with servants. So he who refreshes others, the proverb says, will himself be refreshed. As they went and gave the wine to the headmaster, guess what they could go and do with their goblet now? Go get them some. Eventually there's going to be some wine for the servants, isn't there? There's going to be some wine from them. They're just not going to be there all by themselves. If it's a good kind of party, they're going to let the servants hang out. Now, I understand that waiters and waitresses and my mother-in-law works at a banquet. They normally don't get to enjoy what goes on around them. They're not going to sit down with their guests and all that. But I believe our Jesus is a kind, loving Jesus. I believe that Jesus invited them just like I would invite them into my space and say, come on and do this. And then it says here that they got the privilege of not only uh, seeing the miracle happen, but they got to see what Jesus did. And that's that they got to do more, actually, than just the ones taking the wine and drinking it. They got to see the miracle happen. See, think of that when you're in a service. People are getting hands laid on them. All these things are happening. But those of you who are ushers and those of you who are doing the announcements and those of you working in the back, you get to say, I don't just see the miracle or participate in the miracle. Um, I, I get to help it happen. You don't just receive. You get to give. You get to give. And so often that's where I think we forget our place here is that the excitement is not just to always receiving, my name is Jimmy and I'll take all you can give me, but that you actually get to play a part in it. That's the exciting part, is I get to play a part in what God is doing here. Okay, so now let's just talk about some things that God, I believe, is telling SUM students in their, you know, first quarter of this new year, coming right off the uh, midterms, coming to the finals. You know, it's like midterms is like the left punch and then, you know, the left hook, and then here comes the right one, you know, left, right, and it's like boom, boom, you know. But you don't get knocked out, Amen. That's like, you, we're going to say the midterm is you throwing the punches, amen, knocking out the devil. Take that quarter. Boom, boom, amen. <laughs> Left and a right. Okay, but now watch. What are the things that God's asking you to do to participate in the miracle of a fresh filling? Let's take this right here and make it applicable to our lives. The Lord changes water into wine. The Lord can change your uh, burnout attitude into a fresh passion for ministry. The Lord can turn your um, temptation for sin into a victory, into a testimony of overcoming. The Lord can take your, uh, your frustration with making disciples. Maybe there's something going on with the people you're ministering to. He can take these stubborn goats and turn them into obedient sheep. Right? Amen? God can do these things. He can, he can bear fruit in our lives when we think it's impossible. All we have to do is be faithful. If we're faithful, God will make us fruitful. If we serve him, God will reward us. We don't do it for the reward, but we do it for him 
And we receive the reward joyfully because it's a benefit. It is a benefit. And I do think that we oftentimes forget to look towards the future, towards what God is going to do. John Bevere just wrote a new book about looking for our reward in eternity and letting that be part of our mindset. And I think sometimes we get uh, so uh, earthly-minded, we're no earthly good. We need to be more heavenly-minded so that we'll be of earthly good. Jesus was able to do all that he was, because he all that he did, because he was always eternal. Minded. He was always focused on what the kingdom of God looked like and how it was coming. He never let his present circumstances dictate his identity or his faith in God. He knew who he was and what he was there to do. And so we need to believe that even though there's maybe dry water jars around us, that God can transform these into something beautiful. Amen? Okay, so let's talk about what that may look like. Well, let's go, first of all, to your studies. Let's say today you feel like your studies are getting boring. Maybe you don't feel like they're the wine of the Spirit. You don't feel refreshed to do these things. Now, are you willing to do what God tells you to do so that he can do the miracle of giving you a fresh love for your studies? Amen. I think you should be. Now, what do I think he'll tell you to do? I think he'll ask you to start inviting him into your studies. I have had this habit since day one, and I keep it to this day, even now when I'm writing. Before I start studying or writing or doing any of those things, I pray and I say, Lord, I ask you to be with me now. Teach me your ways. Show me your glory. Do that and participate in the miracle of God refreshing you. We say, God, I want the fresh wine. I want the fresh wine. I want to feel your presence here in my theology class, but are you participating in the miracle? Are you doing whatever he tells you? What if he said, I will pour out my spirit on this class. I will pour it out on my C and D students, even on the A students. But here's what you have to do. You've got to invite me into that class. Pray before you study. What if you sat and prayed and said, Lord, I'm about ready to write this paper, and I ask that you guide me. You give me words that inspire uh, others so that one day I can be a leader and use this information to transform lives. That's how I believe the wine of the Lord will come to your studies. Are you willing to do what he says? What about for those of you here today that say, you know what, sometimes sin is really, really knocking at my door, and the temptation to give in to this evil desire is, is right here, and I could feel like at any moment I could give in in sin. What that looks like is many of you are living right on the edge. You've heard that kind of uh, you know, that, that lingo before, I'm on the edge, I'm on the edge. Well, what if God tells you, he says, you know what, temptation is a part of your flesh. You may have that the rest of your life. But here's how I want you to overcome temptation. Will you do what he tells you if he goes, I want you to take about 100 steps this way away from that edge. And what if he says, I want you to start memorizing your word. I want you to start making time to pray. Since I've been in Bible college, every day of my life, I spend an hour to two hours with Jesus every single day, every single day. And when I was in Bible college, I was even better at it, sometimes two to three hours, a minimum of two hours every day. And you know what I was doing? I was doing what he says because that was what he wanted me to do, to get away from the temptation to the, the reality like I could sin in any moment. I was taking steps in this direction so that when sin would come, it wouldn't be like an all or nothing. It wouldn't be like, oh my goodness, if I do this right now, I'm having sex with this girl, dropping out of Bible college, beating up this person, lusting, lying, stealing, doubting God's existence, whatever. My, my battles, my, my issues would be farther away from the edge. 
Because I believe that temptation leads us to death and it takes us on that long journey. And oftentimes all we do is just see it as sin, no sin, sin, no sin. But why is sin so tempting to us oftentimes? Because we're right around it, almost to where we can like smell it and taste it and we're touching it. I remember one, my one friend was doing a fast and he just got to get, he was so hungry on this fast, but he didn't want to break it. But he just got so hungry that he literally started taking Doritos chips and licking off the cheese on the Dorito chips. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, he put it so close to him. He put it so close to him. But get away from it. Get away from it. So what if the Lord says to you, okay, you want to be free from the edge, from the idea that I'm going to fall hard on this? Make daily devotions a priority in your life every day. Make spending time with me a priority so that you find yourself so far from that. And when the thoughts come in, they literally sound to you like they are, you know, just absurdities. Absurdity. Like, let me just give you an example. For me to commit adultery on my wife, I couldn't even do it today. I couldn't even do it tomorrow. I couldn't even do it this week. The only way that I could commit adultery on my wife is if for the next three to six months, I cut Jesus out of my life, started living a double life so that then I would be so comfortable away from God, moved so close to sin that now me hitting on girls, being secretive with my wife, whatever, would become an actual reality. Are you understanding what I'm saying? An adulterous affair for me today could not just, it's impossible. It is an absurdity to me. Like walking up to a woman other than my wife, hitting on her, setting up a time to do the thing, even getting the desire to do it. It is, I'm telling you, there's no lie in me today. Hear my heart today. My heart is pure. There's no lie. It is, it is an absurdity to me. But how would it happen if I come from my secure place? If I come from my secure place and hear a little compromise, there a little compromise, cutting off the Lord from my heart, not having the conscience uh, towards the Lord anymore, allowing my heart to get hard and those things, that's how it would happen. That's how it happens. That's how sin, when it's fully grown, as James says, brings death. It starts off as desire of the flesh. Then that desire becomes a temptation. Then that temptation becomes sin, and that sin becomes death. So do you want to be free from your sin? Walk on that path of righteousness so far from that temptation that it literally becomes an absurdity, becomes an absurdity. Doesn't mean I can't sin in other areas, but I just wanted to use an example right there. Okay, so you want to see Jesus in your, your studies? You start spending time before and after your work, and you start praying and seeking the Lord. You want to start seeing Jesus set you free from your sins? You start hearing what he says about devotions. Do whatever he tells you. You want to see the miracle of a ministry that grows and explodes and works and, and is functioning well? Well, are you willing to serve where you're at right now with a joyful attitude? Do whatever he tells you. So let's say you have these grandiose dreams and visions of preaching, you know, on, you know, on a stage and in stadiums or doing all these wonderful ministries. Well, God says, okay, I'm going to change your water into wine. I'm going to give you that kind of a ministry. But here's what you got to do. You've got to serve Elevate. You've got to serve King's Kids. You've got to be faithful and little before I give you much. You've got to make someone else's dream happen before I make your dream come true. Make happen for others what you want to have happen for you. So let's say you, you, you start serving and you start being fruitful where you're at. 
From that place, God will bless your ministry. You can't ask him to do for you what you, you can't ask him to answer your prayers when you refuse to be an answer to somebody else's prayers. Tweet that for me, Sister Soldier or Sister Sadia, please. How can you ask God to answer your prayers when you've refused to be the answer to someone else's prayers? See, right here, the couple that's having the wedding, they've run out of the wine. They've run out. The answer to prayer is Jesus turning water into wine. He's using these servants to do it. Those servants participate in the miracle to serve these people. They then could pray for the Lord to do the same kind of miracle in their life. They could ask the Lord to transform things in their life. And that's what all the servants of God can do. The Bible says that when you give, it's given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, all of these good things, shall men pour unto your lap. You see, God uses men to bless other men. Last time I checked, an angel never hired somebody and gave them a job. Last time I checked, an angel never put a large offering in a bucket. Last time I checked, it was always men that God used to bless other men. That's where you have to understand us serving men as unto the Lord puts us in a position that God can use men and women, obviously, I'm talking about mankind in general, to bless us. So you pray, uh, let's say right now you, you're just, uh, you know, bad attitude towards Bible college, don't really like helping in the ministry, you think you can do everything better, you go out, you join a denomination or go work for a church, you become a youth pastor, and you show up, and now you're excited about your vision for the youth group. Now you're excited about everything you want to do. And now God is going to say, well, I'm only going to give you what you have sown into other ministries. I will now only let you reap, just like a farmer, I'm going to keep the law of, of, of seed time and harvest. You will now only reap what you have sown. Would you want a hundred like you? Because now a hundred come like you, 30, 60, or a hundred fold. You're going to be like, dear Lord, don't give me a hundred fold of what I've sown. Because a hundred come in like you, know-it-alls, not wanting to do it, think they can do it better. But let's say you served. Let's say you were humble and you start your ministry and now God says, I'm going to give you a hundredfold of the seed you sowed in that ministry. How many are saying amen to that? Amen. Lord, send me a hundred that work in the sound booth like I worked in the sound booth. Lord, send me a hundred that go out evangelizing before service like how I evangelized before service. Give me a hundred who hyped up the service and got excited for the announcements, right? You're praying the very thing according to God's will. You're, you're not asking God to violate the law of seed and harvest. You're, you're understanding it, and you're abiding by it. Do whatever he tells you to do. So make happen for others what you want to have happen for you. What else is applicable to your life? Well, many of you desire finances. You desire to have increase and income and financial blessing. Well, you got to follow what God says. What does he teach to do to be blessed in the kingdom of God? Be a tither, be a giver of offering, and work hard. That's what the Bible says. Really, make all you can, give all you can. Summarize it like the way John Wesley said, you know. So you become a hard worker, and you do what he says. 
For, for some of you, you may not have to have an extra job in Bible college. You may have saved up money. You may have an inheritance. You may have something that allows you to have a little bit more than the average bearer, or your parents pay for you. When I was in Bible college, my parents paid for my, my college, paid for the, the car I drove, all of these things. Now, you could hate on me, but that's not my fault that my parents were blessed. Amen? Uh, you know, you can be jelly, or you can, you know, you can be a hater, you know, but, uh, you know, Haters don't get nowhere in life. Haters, you know, don't really get anywhere in life. But you could be a celebrator. Amen? Do you want to be a hater or a celebrator? What God makes happen for others, God can make happen for you. When you looked at me as a fellow student, when people looked at me, what they could say is, you know what? I'm going to do that for my kids. Amen? Because most of my friends, like Juan and the others I went to Bible college with, they didn't, Bible college with, they didn't come from godly families. They were the first ones saved in their family. My, my dad was a godly businessman. Ought he to be able to support his son to go to Bible college? What a blessing is that? That's a great blessing. Why hate? Celebrate. Amen? Now, think about it like this. Whatever situation you find yourself in, find the ability to be fruitful and start working hard towards your goals. Now, you may not have that situation like I had, but you know what I did with that? I got straight A's. I led practicums. I became a, a pastor in my second year of Bible college and that because I was allowed at that time, and I worked harder than all the rest. So you didn't look at me like some kid playing video games in the dorm being like, man, I wish I had it like him. You would look at me going, man, this guy's outworking all of us. This guy's putting in more time than all of us, and that's why I wanted to, that was my way of saying I was thankful for all that the Lord had done for me. But at the same time, you had Juan Gonzalez who came there from a situation, you know, from Teen Challenge, you know, and he just didn't really have a, a Christian family, and he had to make his decision to live for the Lord, and he even had to go back and serve a warrant some time in jail during his uh, summer break. <laughs> but you know what? He made a determination that I'm going to work hard and get blessed in the situation I find myself in. Excuse me. And you know what he became? He became the RA. So he ended up getting his dorm paid for him and all of these things because he worked for the school. And he was able to be blessed that way. And see, God provided for him. And it doesn't matter whatever situation you find yourself in, do whatever he tells you. God told Joseph, you work here. You work in the Potiphar's house. You bless this man. You serve this man. And God blessed Joseph. There was a lot of slaves, but not everybody was blessed. And then the same thing, they throw him into prison based on a lie. A lot of prisoners, but not everybody was in charge of the prisoners, right? And then a lot of people came before Pharaoh, but he became a prince with Pharaoh. He became honored with Pharaoh. And so the idea is, what are you going to do with what you have? Everything that you, that you have right now can turn into an opportunity for success. It doesn't seem like it, but it can. Even when you look to people with worldly success, what did Oprah Winfrey have going for her? Well, she had her ability to talk and her stories and her ability to relate. She used that to make a billion dollars. You know, these rappers have their ability to tell stories and keep people's attention, making all that money. You know what I'm saying? Post Malone, you know, White Iverson, you know, you know. You're going to talk about me when I'm gone. How does that go? And, and you miss me when I'm gone. Why? You're going to talk about, is it talk about me when I'm gone? You're going to something down when I'm gone. Yeah. I'm saucing, I'm saucing, I'm saucing on you. I'm balling, I'm balling. Dude, I love that song. 
I love that song. Seriously, I do. I love that song other than its vulgarity and its parts because of the clean version. And then some, even the clean version, he's talking about some silliness. But the ability for that man to tell that story and the way he sings it out, man, I think that's really talented. I give him respect for that. See, y'all don't even know I know about that. I even watched his uh, interview on The Breakfast Club. This was like a year ago. I, I, keep, I keep up on stuff, man. I may not know everything what's going on, but I do know a little about what's going on, just a little bit. Yeah, so going to just to that young man, he's using what he has. He's using what he has. David used what he had, killed a giant, right? Use what you have. Do whatever the Lord tells you to do. You want to be financially blessed? Use what you have. I remember when we first started off, uh, I'll say for myself personally, even before I was married here in Chicago, when I first started off in New Orleans, uh, I had a one-bedroom apartment that was nasty in the hood, and it had a hole in, in the floor, and rats would come in, and roaches would come in. I didn't even walk on the floor without my shoes or socks on for over a year and a half. And the only reason why I ended up taking off my shoes and walking on the actual carpet with my feet is because the Lord told me to do it. Only I would shower, I would get out, I would step on stuff, and I would literally put on my sandals right after that, and I would never take off my shoes. And you guys know me. I, I don't even like wearing shoes. And it was the South, and I never wore them outside. I mean, I would always wear sandals, and when I was in the dorms, I could be barefoot at any given time. But I just, it was so nasty, and I just, you know, I couldn't afford to clean it. But then the Lord told me, like, I want you to bless this place. I want you to stop complaining about this place, start blessing this place. And so I just remember, you know, like taking off my shoes, you know, putting my toes in the nasty carpet, being like, I bless this place in Jesus' name. I'm so thankful that I have this place. I can have Bible studies here. I can sleep here. I can bring in homeless one-eyed Willie here. I can do work for the Lord here. Lord, I thank you for the shower. I am so serious. I thank you for this, and God, you've been good to me, and I know that you can uh, take this and multiply it and give me more. And I'm literally, when I started to pray like that, within like a year, I upgraded to this other place that was awesome, but that was the principle. I had to start to learn to appreciate where I'm at. And you guys even know that. You guys have visited big churches. You've seen those things on TV. But I bless this place all the time. We keep this place so clean and so in order better than many, many, many other churches despite their size because I bless this storefront church. Amen. I bless what we have here. And you got to be faithful a little, be given much. You want you want to do great in things and finances? Show the Lord that you can be faithful with little. And now people look at the glory, but they don't understand my story. I've been, I've been listening, guys. I started planning churches when I was 22 years old. Don't you think I was, I, I, you know, I should have something to show for it after 22? I'm, 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 you know, 39 now, so I've been doing it 17 years. Don't you think after 17 years I should have a house that can fit my family? Don't you think I should have a car? I mean, 17 years. If I was a policeman for 17 years, I would be making close to 100K right now. You understand what I'm saying? I talked to some of these guys that are going to start on the force. They can start making upwards of $60,000 after their first year as a Chicago PD. Now, you all know you can look at me. I'm athletic. I could pass that test. I could do that thing. I didn't make $60,000 in ministry until after I had been doing it for almost 15 years, really just last year. I don't think I even made it the year before. So really six years of ministry, I didn't even make what a police officer makes in his first year. What Ricky Rivera was making at a 23-year-old in his first year of On the Beat, I did not make until I had been in ministry 16 years of my career. So you're going to call me a failure? No, it's just that's what it took for me to get to where I had to be. You know, and now I'm putting in my work, and I am doing my best. I know, I, I know all of you guys came 
from good families that literally wanted the best for you. You know, they'll do anything they can for you. That's what I feel like I'm doing right now for the spiritual family. I'm working as hard as I can. I am like your, your father working at the factory, whatever, taking my, my pail with me, going there. we got the dirt all over my face, putting in 12 hours, coming back just to give you guys a few quarters that you could go down to the jukebox and get yourself a, a you know, a, a milkshake. That's what I'm doing. I'm working right now for you guys so that we can have something here so that you don't have to be on the uh, on the level where you fake and phony. And I'm not saying everybody's fake and phony, but God told us to start something very real here, and we didn't have the help of denomination or whatever, so we had to build it from the bottom to the top, you know what I'm saying? And one day I want to be able to say, you know, I started from the bottom, now we're here. I started from the bottom, now my whole crew is here. I started from the bottom, now we're here. You know, you know I want to be able to say that. I want to be able to be like, we started from nothing. And here we are. We started from nothing. Now here we are. By God's grace, do whatever he tells you. A few other things. Uh, a lot of times you're going to deal with emotional stress. You're going to deal with, like, emotional burnout. You're going to deal with feelings, feelings, feelings of sadness, feelings of depression, anxiety, fear, whatever. Feelings are not always facts. And you got to learn to do whatever God tells you to do. What God is going to tell you to do is face your fears. Give your depression to him. Give your sadness to him. And so often, people don't want to do this. They want to hold on to their sadness, hold on to their anger, hold on to their unforgiveness, hold on to these things. And then they wonder why they're hurting so much. And it's like these different memes that you've seen, you know, like they're chained to a big ball of depression and it's walking around. They say, that's how I feel. Well, Jesus came to set you free from that. Jesus came to set you free. You don't have to think about that anymore. Literally, the Bible says to you in Philippians, think on these things, you know. And even before that, let's just look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. It says um, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, oh, don't, don't uh, be gentle. Um, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice, let your gentleness, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 4 of Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always, I'll say it again, rejoice, let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer, in every situation with prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to the Lord and the God of, uh, present your request to God and uh, to, to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, admirable, or let me say whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have heard or learned or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I memorized that whole passage. I tore it up a little bit right here, but if I, if I warmed up to it a minute, I could get this whole thing four through nine. We, we hear this, but do we do want to do what it says? Do you want the miracle of your thoughts of water and your emptiness to go to the thoughts of wine and peace? Well, then think on what he thinks on. Now, everybody here that's stressed out about something, let me ask you something. Let me just pick some random thought. When was the last time you spent, say, just 30 seconds meditating on Sean White and the X Games and snowboarding? When was the last time you meditated on the name Sean White, X Sports, snowboarding. Okay, so for you it would be a while ago, so you at least know who he is. Most of you all are saying never, right? Well, what if I told you you never had to think about stress again? That stress could become like Sean White in your mind, and you would never have to think about it again. Get that revelation right now. 
It seems to be so real to you right now because that's all you think about. Now imagine if you're the competitor of Sean White. All you think about is Sean White, Sean White. What's Sean White doing right now? What's Sean White doing? We got X Games coming up because X Games is coming up. Winter's coming up. Snowboarding's coming up. All you thinking about is Sean White. But for you here today, you are so far removed from Sean White. You don't even care about Sean White. You don't care about export. And I could, I could say this about any random thing today. You know, like when was the last time you, you thought of uh, Taipei or Bangkok? You know, or when was the last time you thought about this or that or this person? You know, I say, when was the last time, you, you know, you thought about, um, you know, like uh, another uh, professional snowboarder or wakeboarder or somebody, you know, you know, Travis Pastrana, you know, a professional export biker. You would say, I have to, I'm like Ashley would say, I never thought of that person. But let's say, just use her as an example, hypothetically, because we know this is not true right now. But let's say she's dealing with bitterness towards Sadia, and that's all she thinks about every single day. But God, we know this is not true. <laughs> Look at this. But God is saying to you, I can make that thought become as distant from you as right now you thinking about Travis Pastrana. See, all it is, it's just a thought. And somewhere we captured and took in that thought and made it ours instead of capturing it and casting it out. We, we meditated on it instead of casting it out. And God is saying to you, these things you're anxious about, you don't have to be anxious about them. You don't even have to think about it. You don't have to think about it. This thing you're stressed out about, you don't have to think about. Now you may say, Pastor, well... In reality, I get what you're, uh, you know, hypothetically, I get what you're saying. I don't have to think about Sean White to do my everyday life. But there are some things that I have to think about to actually do. How do I not let them stress me out? Well, what you do is you, you rob them of their power. You take away the power of the fear and the anxiety and depression that those things bring. So let's say you're in a class right now, and you're not doing good in it, but you need to think about it so that you can pass it. Well, whatever is not godly, whatever is not admirable, whatever is not right, whatever is not lovely, you refuse to think about when it comes to that class. So you treat the negative of that class the same way you would treat the Travis Pastrana example. You say, okay, I'm in the class. I do have to think about doing the work, but I don't have to think about not liking the professor. I don't have to think about not uh, doing well. I can focus on what is good, focus on doing this, and then whatever else comes into your mind, you can literally tell yourself, I don't need to think about that. I don't have to think about that. You, and, and it's actually a part of brain cognitive therapy. It's actually a part of, of, of retraining the brain is to tell yourself you don't have to think about things. You, you actually say it to yourself. I don't have to think about that. And it tells you. You hear yourself. You think it to yourself. And it trains you. I don't have to think about everything that comes into my mind. And so are you willing to do whatever he tells you? You say, well, I'm so stressed out. Stop being stressed. Well, I don't know how to do that. Well, do what he tells you to do. Go and pray and ask God, where's the root of your stress? Well, the root of my stress is that I keep thinking I'm going to fail. Well, according to Philippians, are you just thinking about you, you're going to fail all the time? No, you should think about the lovely things. Think about you passing. Focus on that. And then sometimes people say, well, what if bad still comes out of it? Well, then you have tried your best, and you'll deal with the bad when it comes. There's no fear of bad either because God says all things will work together for your good. If you can honestly look me in the eye and say at the end of a class, the best you could do was a D, then it's a D. Let's move on. Let's go to the next class, Right? And if you're saying, well, the best I can do is an F, well, then we have some problems because you're not adequate for Bible college, and we need to take a step aside and build you back up to being adequate for Bible college. But I believe everybody here is adequate, and you can learn to do well. But it's never going to help you to be negative. It's never going to help you to focus on the bad. Focusing on those things will never help you. I know some of you have seen 
whether it's Madagascar, those, the, the cartoon with the, these animals, and it's the giraffe, the guy from Friends who's always the scared guy, and they have to slap him into, you know, the, get him to shape, uh, snap out of it, or whether it's any of these other cartoons, you know, they're scared and you slap the person. That's literally what you need to do for yourself because no matter what, yeah, you need somebody to slap you, just ask your friend, right? Hey, I'll, I'll slap you. I'll do that for you. Would you slap me? Yeah, I'll definitely do that. Just let me know when and where, and I'll do it, you know? Um, and so there's this idea that we, we need to slap ourselves out of it, get out of that. And, and I even heard somebody say, I don't want to embarrass them, but they say, you know, sometimes I deal with fear so much that I have to distract myself. No, listen to me. The distraction is the fear. What you're doing is getting refocused on something. Fear always brings death. Fear never leads towards good things. Now, you may have an instinct or what we may say like the fear of death, and that may help you run faster away from that line, but that's not the kind of fear I'm talking about. I'm talking about phobia kind of fear. That fear will never help you. Let's say we're all here on a boat. We're about ready to storm the shores of Normandy in World War II. Us being afraid is not going to help us. It's actually going to slow us down and make us waste energy and not be tuned into what we're feeling, uh, to what we need to do. Now, we may feel afraid that we're going to die. That is true. But acting on that fear will get us killed. Let me give you the example. If you saw Private Ryan, when you stepped out, when they stepped out of that, the bullets are all flying. What everybody want to do in fear? They wanted to go and hit the ground and dig down right there. And what that did is made them targets. What was the thing they had to do to live? Get up and run at the enemy. That's what they had to do. If people did not get up and run towards the enemy, then all of our men would have kept piling up there being sitting ducks, and they all would have died on that beach. There had to be people saying, let's run, let's go. They can't shoot us all. Keep moving. And that's where you don't listen to your fear. Your fear is not the fact. The fear is not the fact. And we always say, you know, fear is, is false evidence appearing real. And for some reason, everybody keeps putting a fifth uh, letter in there, A, you know, a fa um, false evidence appearing as real. Get rid of the as. You don't need the as. I've been wanting to say that to you guys. It's, it works perfectly just as four words. False evidence appearing real. We don't need appearing as real. It's just false evidence appearing real. Amen? Okay. I just, yeah, just, it was a pet peeve I heard you say it, and Pastor Stephen is just like, stop saying as. There's no reason for as in there, okay? It's, it's the question of, will you listen to your fears or be motivated by your faith? I'm going to be motivated by my faith. Faith is what God can do. Fear is what you're saying, I cannot do. Yes, there will be things you can't do, but don't be motivated by your fear and what you can't do and how you're going to fail. Put your faith in God. Think of the miracle again. Jesus says, guys, uh, the mother says, do whatever he tells you to do. And he says, guys, go get these water jugs, fill them up with water, get some uh, wine here, uh, you know, get this cup, go give it to the headmaster, and the miracle happened. They could never make the miracle happen, but they could participate in the miracle. Do you want to participate in the miracle that God is doing in your life, in the miracles, the miracles of good grades, the miracles of being away from sin, the miracles of having a successful ministry, the miracle of being financially blessed, and the miracle of being stress-free? Jesus was worry-free, stress-free. Do you want that? Do you want to be able to be asleep on the boat in the middle of a storm when everybody else is freaking out? 
That's your Jesus. You can be like Jesus. Worry is never a God thing. It's never a God. There'll never be a time. Even if right now, God forbid, I were to get a call, just like people have gotten, your wife has just been in an accident, your kids have died, the worst possible scenario, me worrying, me freaking out will not make that better. And everybody may say, well, Joe, you have permission to freak out. It's, it's okay to freak out. Why? How is me freaking out going to make anything better? I'm going to mourn. I'm going to be broken. I'm, I'm going to wish this didn't happen. I'm going to need to talk with Jesus. But worrying, fretting will not make that situation better. So if it won't make the most extreme situation, why would it make even the littlest things? It's no good. It's a, it is a wrong way of thinking. Get rid of stinking thinking. Put your faith and trust in God. I would want to be able to say it is well with my soul. Just like Horatio, who lost his family as they traveled across the ocean, and he went back there, and he said, it's well with my soul, and he sang that song. and didn't mean he wasn't at pain or whatever, but he just realized, like, this is, this is a short life. No one's promised to live forever. They've gone before their time, and I wish they would have stayed longer, but you know what? God is good. I saw my daughter for eight years. God is good. I'll see her up in heaven. I don't want to become bitter, full of anger, and go to hell and never see her again. Amen? And I don't want to let worry take away the joy of living today because it wasn't Bethany who gave me life. It was God who gave me life. So why could Bethany's death take away my joy in this life? Bethany was never the source of my joy. It was a joyful thing to know her. It was a joyful thing to know my family, but they were never the source of my joy. Do you understand the difference? And that's why we as Christians were, were just, just an anomaly. We, we blew the pagans' mind. They were killing us. They were taking everything away from us. Yet we rejoiced in our suffering. We were rejoicing. Jesus was rejoicing. You know, in the midst of our pain, we found our hope in Jesus. While they were even burning us alive, the Christians were singing hymns to the Lord. I've already thought to myself what I would want to do if I was captured by those Muslim terrorists, you know. The first thing I would want to say to them is, listen to me, listen to me, guys, listen to me. I'm more crazier for Jesus than you are for Allah. So whatever you do for me, do to me, only gives me more rewards in heaven. So the only difference between us is you show your faith in Allah by killing by the sword. I do it by love. And so no matter what you do, I will love you, I will forgive you, and no matter how much you torture me, you're giving me more rewards in heaven. Because they'll understand that. Because they understand if they get caught and they get tortured, it's all for their God, you know. And I would want them to know real quick, to the extreme that you say you love your God is as much, if not more, as I love my God, you know. I would want them to know that. And I would just sing my little songs and go to meet Jesus. There was this one terrifying image of a, I believe it was a Chinese missionary or a tourist or something that got caught, and they're about ready to behead him. And I actually watched the beheading, and he's screaming, and he's going through all those things. That's not the way I'm going to go. I've made a decision right now. I'm not going that way. I'm going in peace, singing hymns to Jesus. They won't get me to scream. They won't get me to renounce my faith. They won't get me to act in terror. I'll go just like my disciples went before me, my brothers and sisters who went before me singing songs unto the Lord. Take my life, burn it, do whatever you want with it. You've just sent me to paradise with rewards in heaven. I get a special place at the altar now. Isn't that beautiful? We believe that. Death, where is your sting? You know, grave, where is your victory? It's been swallowed up. It's been swallowed up. Let's pray. Father, use us for your glory. We want to be a part of the miracle. We want to be a part of the miracle. Here in this world, in our ministry, in our lives, in our family, all that we do here, Give us your orders, and we will do them. Tell us what to do, O Jesus, and we will obey. It's in your precious name we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's give it up for Jesus. Amen. Do you guys have any questiones?
You guys enjoy that today? That was a special one just for you guys. Okay.